0: Ah, yes. Welcome to MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teens in 30 Days, a production of the Athletes Unfiltered Podcast Network. We are recording from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Yesterday, we were down in Florida talking about the Tampa Bay Rays. We head up to the Windy City today, my former home, to talk about the 2016 World Series champion, and yes, that was five years ago, Chicago Cubs. And joining me to do so is Sean Sears, who is the host of the Locked Cubs podcast. Good morning, Sean. Thank you for joining. How are things in the city of the big shoulders and the area code known as 312?
1: <laughs> hey, Greg, thanks for having me on today. Um, honestly, uh, I think people are excited for baseball to be back. Obviously, the, the 2020 season was a little strange, and we only got 60 games. The Cubs kind of had... A hot start and then kind of looked like that team we'd seen the last couple of years. Um, but I think people are ready for baseball. I think they're just looking forward to having something to maybe, I don't know, possibly go to maybe. It sounds like I know Lori Lightfoot, the mayor in Chicago, hasn't officially allowed uh, fans in the stands yet. But there were some fans obviously in spring training. It sounds like both the Cubs and White Sox might be able to get 25 percent maybe by the end of the season. So people are getting excited for baseball. I think they're just excited that baseball's on TV, too. <laughs> so it's just nice to have it all back.
0: So you're telling me that people aren't excited about the Bears uh, quarterback chase oh. in free agency?
1: <laughs> My gosh, I think I've seen an edit for every quarterback out there now. I, I don't know why Chicago Bears fans love to get into Photoshop and make their guy, uh, make Russell Wilson, whoever it may be, Deshaun Watson uh, in a Bears uniform. So I think people are excited for that. But uh, I, uh, I also think, too, I mean, Gosh, I can still remember the day the Bears traded for Jay Cutler and thinking that was a joke. So uh, the the day the Bears have a legitimate quarterback is the day uh,
0: I think Chicago might finally lose their mind. (laughs) So on to brass tacks. This will be the first Cubs season since 2011 where Theo Epstein hasn't been in charge. In your opinion, Sean, did Theo's Mm -hmm. departure signal the beginning of the end for this current core that he built the team around?
1: I, I think it did to some extent. Um I, I think no matter what happens, the, I think the Cubs are gonna try and maybe put together some extensions. I know there's heard there's been talk that they're gonna try and do have some of those conversations as spring training starts rolling through here. But um I I think it's gonna be really tough to keep, especially you talk about your four core guys being the Rizzo, Bryant, Bys, Contreras of the World here on this team. It's gonna be really tough to extend a lot of these guys. Um that being said, though, Jed Hoyer was just as important as Theo Epstein was in that regime. There's a lot of trades that uh, Jed Hoyer really pushed to get guys included in, like, the Jake Arrieta trade. Pedro Strop being included in that deal, that's 100% Jed Hoyer. He pushed extremely hard. Theo Epstein even joked about it at the end of his, uh, his like, you know, last Cubs presser saying, you know, Jed really pushed for this guy, Pedro stroke. And now you guys know who he is. Um, (laughs) so I think there's a little bit of crossover here too, but I think Jed's ready to put his own stamp on this team. I, I think it's clear that he was a guy that, um, was being considered for a lot of other openings in and around baseball, but was sticking around in Chicago because he liked working with Theo. And I think he knew that eventually he might get a chance to run this team. And so he's getting that opportunity. Um, I think things will be a little bit different, but I I think a lot of what we've seen in the background for the Cubs the last couple of years has been focusing heavily on player development, getting their, uh, getting their, uh, just, their IV system which is like basically their back-end data information it's their stat cast type of thing if you want to put it at it it's what they're using to have pitchers change certain things throw the ball differently different type of angles whatever have you um they're focusing heavily on that and that's a really big part of jed hoyer's plan to try and not only develop some of these young talented players that the cubs have kind of sort of brought up here not really seeing them take that next step to being that everyday player sort of yet, especially with pitching, they're hoping for changes like that, and Jed Hoyer's pushing really hard on that. So I I think there's going to be change on the back end of how they bring these players up, how how players travel through the minors. Um, A lot of guys have shot up onto this team and had success, but just not sustained success. So Jed Hoyer's focusing heavily on that, but in terms of what this team might look like in a couple years, I say this wearing a Chris Bryant jersey right now. Um, It might be tough to see a guy like Bryant and Baez and Rizzo and Contreras and an Ian Happ and whoever stay on this team for the
0: long term. We will get to Chris Bryant in a little bit because that's one of the (laughs) hottest topics around Cubs Nation. But I do want to talk Mm -hmm. about the franchise and their spending in general. And this is not Mm -hmm. a pandemic issue for me. And here's why. It's a franchise in the third largest media market in the country. You expect the Cubs to be able to sell. They play in one of the most beloved ballparks in baseball. Wrigley Field will sell out whether the Cubs are good or bad. The Cubs didn't spend much money after the 2019 season to improve their roster. They cried poor because of contracts they had given in the past to guys like Jason Hayward. So, my question mm-hmm. is is this a Tom Ricketts issue? Is this further than that? Why is this franchise continually crying poor when, and I haven't looked at the figures. I assume that they're one of the top five valuations in regards to franchise value of any team in major league baseball.
1: They are. Yeah. I think uh, Forbes had them listed somewhere around 2.3, nearly 3 billion this year in terms of evaluation. And um, it, it, when it comes down to it, ultimately this is the Ricketts. This is Tom Ricketts, not wanting to spend money. Um, and he talks about this a lot. He's, he's kind of, Given a little bit more of an idea of how their financial system works, but basically, even though his father and his family owned or owned TD Ameritrade and have close to 26 billion in uh, stock options and revenue from the selling of that company, um, they still won't take money they save outside of the baseball organization or bring baseball outside of what brings or bring money into their baseball ops system. It's a really kind of awkward type of like phrasing the way they go about things, because what's really costing the money right now is all the things they've purchased around Wrigley field. They own a lot of the properties, all the rooftops you see behind Wrigley at this point are almost exclusively owned by the Ricketts. Uh, all the developments around Wrigley field, there's a huge hotel. Now the Zachary, they've got the Gallagher way set up here, this little parkway right next to Wrigley. And then like right around Wrigley as well too. There's like a Harley Davidson super random stuff. They all own all these businesses and those businesses during the pandemic weren't making them any money. So they were probably dipping into the money they were getting from the Cubs to make these businesses still propped up. But now they're saying they can't do that. Uh, They can't spend this money. And there's people like David Kaplan from NBC sports, who's reporting that the Cubs have close to a billion dollars on their offer sheets. They they, they owe close to a billion dollars right now or somewhere around that. Uh, what it comes down to it, Tom Ricketts doesn't want to see the money in his pocket go down to offset costs for his baseball team. He says, this is an asset to him. This is what should be making him money. And that's how it's worked for baseball for years to come, especially to a place like Wrigley Field, like you said. Fans show up no matter what. People are buying beers, buying hot dogs, getting jerseys, no matter what's going on. Um, they basically just took that as just a revolving cash store of money coming in and took that and immediately put it into other investments. So they aren't liquid. And now they're looking at crying poor because they've invested or over-invested in things that really shouldn't be coming into factor here on the baseball side, especially when they try and tell you all the time that these this money is for this, this money is for this. We don't take money from here and put it into that. OK, but uh, you are, though. You're taking money from your baseball team and reinvesting it into the infrastructure around it. So it's just a lot of like contradictory statements from Ricketts, but ultimately it comes down to... He's not going to take money from his own pocket. He's not going to see a loss to offset losses from his baseball team. And that's why we're seeing for the last couple of years,
0: the Cubs seem to cry poor despite being a top uh, payroll team in baseball. We're here with Sean Sears of the Locked On Cubs podcast. And before I get to my next question, I do want to follow up on that. As a former Chicago resident, I listen to the score a lot. And Dan Bernstein has talked a lot about how the Cubs say that they make 65 to 70% of their revenue from fans in the stands. But how do we buy that when we can't see the Cubs books? So I guess the problem that I have right. with the argument that the Ricketts are talking about having all this money separate is that it's separate, but it's also not separate because you Rob Peter to pay Paul in a lot of things. And you can't just keep all this money separate here and not have it here and I just have a lot of issues with the way the Rickets operate because even if they, as David Kaplan reported, like you said, do have losses that they have to make up for, I just look at it skeptically and thinking that when you compare the Cubs to almost every other franchise in Major League Baseball, save for, say, the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees, mm-hmm. there's no way that they, should, they shouldn't be able to to pay the guys that they want to pay. And I think that a stark example of that was letting John Lester go in this offseason mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, it, that's a great point. Um, and it sounded like for what they were, what was going on with John Lester. I, I think if the, if Lester had wanted to play ball a little bit longer with the Cubs and wait out some of these offers he was getting, he's probably coming back to the Cubs as opposed to Jake Arrieta this year. Um, but Uh, Just the way they handled the whole situation, Uh, good for John Lester to get that contract because the Cubs just basically said, hey, John, we'll probably be able to pay you, but you need to wait a little bit longer. And he was like, no, I'm going to take my guaranteed offer here. It's deferred. It's not the best offer, but it's the best offer I've got. I want to make sure I've got a team to play for in a couple months. And I don't know, completely fair to John Lester. But I, I think when it comes down to these Cubs decisions and the money that they're trying or not trying to spend... It, 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 like you said none of their none of their their reasons hold water there's always kind of holes being poked in a lot of these reasons for this and it's just beyond frustrating because you you shouldn't have to be you know trading you Darvish to get back four prospects and sending Victor Carantini and milk you know, money to offset you darvish's deal that's a deal that the Cubs would normally make that's crazy to think that they made a deal to send the Padres you Darvish while collectively lowering their payroll below the San Diego Padres I think the Padres now are up like 20-25 million on the Cubs in payroll that's nuts like the San Diego Padres have a higher payroll than the Chicago Cubs it, it just doesn't make any sense and I I can understand maybe if they were looking at this team and saying you know like okay we just haven't gotten the value back we've gotten on some of these guys but you, you're talking about a guy like Chris Bryant and Wilson Contreras last year all had down seasons but if collectively they're out there Cubs tenure have been I mean Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo are our top 10 war players in Cub franchise history already. They already already are elite players on this franchise. And, you know, they're barely hitting their prime at this point. It's just insane to me to think that we're selling off these guys to hope to get a high value back to maybe get prospects back.
0: It's like, what are we doing? Shouldn't we be doing both? You have the money to do both. Why aren't you doing it? The thing that really bothered me about the U Darvish trade, and that was going to be one of my next questions, is that Darvish, by all accounts, was either the best or the second-best pitcher in the National League last year next to Trevor right. Bauer. You could have held out for Mackenzie Gore or any of their top five prospects. You could have. Yeah. The Cubs, even if there's controversy over trading away you, Darvish, which I understand that if you don't trade them away now, it may be hard to trade away a 35- or a 36-year-old right. asset in a year or two from now. But the problem that I have with the Cubs' return is that Darvish is the type of guy that could have warranted a lot more than what the Cubs got. And like you had said, Sean, they gave up a major league caliber starting catcher in Victor Caratini as well. So I guess my next question to you is, why do you think the Cubs pulled the trigger on this deal so quickly? And do you think if they had waited around even a week or two longer, uh-huh. that they could have gotten a better return from somebody else or even the Padres.
1: Yes, 100%. You you look at that deal and you say, like, I think the first thing I said when I looked at the deal when it finalized, because it took like a day and a half to finally get the what the actual trade was, um, I looked at it and was like, you can't tell me the Yankees couldn't have seen this offer and been like, okay, uh, we could beat this. You know, <laughs> like for you, Darvish, yeah, we could we could maybe increase the prospect. And if it's the same deal and just a higher end prospect, I don't know there's no you can't tell me the Cubs couldn't have waited a little bit longer and increased that deal um for them not to even get like a CJ Abrams from the Padres like the Padres kept all but Luis Patino their top 10 prospects and acquired Blake Snell you Darvish they signed that the 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 top uh prospect from the KBO like insane that they were able to do all this without actually having to get rid of their top they're essentially keeping their top 10 prospects intact um Super frustrating. Good on the Padres, bad on the Cubs. But I, it just tells me the the inclusion of Victor Carantini having to throw money in. Uh, clearly, Tom Ricketts was telling you know uh, Jed Hoyer, hey, let's get this deal done. And some of the comments Hoyer made after he made that deal kind of alluded to the idea that they were under maybe not pressure, but under maybe this time frame that they needed to get this deal and get this money off the book so they could then go and address other needs. So to me, it just felt like the front office was putting a lot of pressure on uh, Jed Hoyer and the Cubs to really get something like this deal done, especially with how aggressively they've been shopping Chris Bryant and at the time Wilson Contreras for them to have to move Hugh Darvish and then a deal like this where you're looking at this and saying like, you know, maybe if one of these four prospects turns into Fernando Tatis Jr., um, you know, you're okay then. But You know Zach Davies might be okay. Uh, A lot of those pieces should be all right, but like, you know, for for you Darvish for a Cy Young caliber season, you Darvish granted twenty games, you know, sixty game season, it's hard not to think the Cubs sold sold low on
0: a guy that they were probably trying to sell as high as they could on. We're here with Sean Sears of the Lockdown Cubs podcast, and the thing that's interesting to me, Sean, is that even with selling off you Darvish, even with letting John Lester walk. This is a relatively weak NL Central division. The Cardinals got Nolan Arenado, so that was their method of getting better. I don't necessarily think that the Brewers getting Jackie Bradley Jr. makes them any better this year. The Pirates are terrible. The Reds haven't spent any money. To me, it's still a wide-open division. So even with the Cubs having sold off the pieces that they did, and even with bringing back a guy like a Jake Arietta effectively swapping out Kyle Schwarber for Jock Peterson, and even bringing mm-hmm. back a bullpen arm like Pedro Strope, they can still compete in the NL Central this year. But to me, and I'll ask if you agree with this, that means keeping Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, and Wilson Contreras around the entire season. And I don't include Anthony Rizzo in this because of that core infield. Plus Mm -hmm. the catcher, I don't think Rizzo of those four guys would get traded. I think it's Bryant first, Contreras second, Baez third if they can't get an extension done.
1: Yeah, that's that's about where I'm at with that, too. I think those, uh, I I would assume Anthony Rizzo probably finds a way to stay here in Chicago for the the remainder of his career. Um, I think they'll work something out there, but um, yeah, it's (laughs) a. It's weird to see all these guys come up here being so close to being a uh, almost let go here from this Cub team. It's it's concerning, but um, I, I I think I have to agree with you on those. I, when you're looking at who they would trade, I I don't think they would make a deal at the deadline necessarily. But if this team isn't competing like we expect them to in this week division, I could see a deal at the deadline happening. But like you said, those guys are essential to the to this team winning this division and it's not going to be nearly as competitive. You could probably see the division winner with 87, 88 games this year as a win for this, this division, it's going to be tight. Um, I've seen projections where like, I think MLB.com had all three of the Cubs, Brewers and Cardinals finishing with uh, records below 500, but still winning the division. I don't see that happening. <laughs> I think there's going to. I think these teams will beat up on the Pirates a little bit. I think one of these teams will end up playing better against these other teams, and that'll probably be the difference in this division. But yeah, it's kind of crazy that all these teams took collectively maybe a step back outside of maybe the Cardinals. Their pitching still not great, um, and still have a real chance of winning this division. Uh, but I, I think the Cubs are going to be very fluid in all the decisions they make. I think if this team starts out on a bad streak, or we see them not quite hitting where they need to be, or this team just isn't going to compete for this division. I could see them trying to trade a Chris Bryan or a Wilson Contreras at the deadline, just because even if they're having down seasons at the deadline for a team, teams get desperate, maybe they'll overpay. That's kind of the approach here, but I would say the Cubs have just as good of a chance as probably
0: anyone not named the pirates to win this division this year. Sean, one of the things I noticed last year in regards to David Ross is that he let his starters ride a little bit more. Joe Madden, in my opinion, received a lot of criticism, and deservedly so, for pulling his pitchers too early and trying to play the bullpen game, when in all reality, the bullpen game was not something, at least in his final two years as manager, that the Cubs wanted to play. The thing that also bothers me, though, is that David Ross didn't seem to ever adjust his lineup when the Cubs were having stretches where they were having two or three hits in a game. I mean... The offense as a whole in the Miami series was awful. What did they score? Like two total runs, three total I runs, think, something like that. Yeah, I think it was three
1: total. I think it was three runs from the Marlins. I, don't, I think the Cubs got shut out. I think they maybe scored a run,
0: if even. <laughs> so my point being is that David Ross is a much different manager than Joe Madden, but after one mm-hmm. year. Is there enough to go on to understand what Ross is as a manager and if it's going to work long term for the Cubs?
1: I, uh, I I honestly, I did like a lot of the things David Ross did last year. Um, I thought just his approach was just, like you said, a little bit different than Joe Madden. I think that was a bit of a fresh air for the Cubs. Not that Joe Madden was necessarily a bad manager, but yeah, some of the decisions he made, especially with the pitching, were pretty head-scratching. Um, I think everyone remembers what happened in the World Series. Um, Tried to basically lose that game for the Cubs. Uh, but uh, David Ross is... I like him as a player manager. I'm interested to see more of the tactical side of him. I know he's a smart guy. I know he understands a lot about baseball. There were a couple times last year where he made some decisions where I was like, okay, eh, that's probably not going to play out super well for him, and it ended up not doing so great. But in 60 games, I I can understand why he didn't maybe want to play with the the lineup as much. Um, I know you're you're basically – you start that season and you're in a sprint to get to this postseason already. So I can see why making – bigger adjustments was probably tougher. Like a guy like Nico Horner was probably a guy they needed to get more bats for to get him to work out of his funk, but they just couldn't do that. They just didn't have the, the the games really a lot of guy like that. So, um, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what he does with this pitching rotation. I'm interested to see what he does with this bullpen. And I'm, I'm even more interested to see what he does with a guy like Jack Peterson, who the Cubs have said, they're going to try and get him an everyday, give him a shot to be the everyday player in left field. Um, Does David Ross have a quick hook on a guy like Jock if he comes out and isn't showing up he could really be an everyday player? Those kind of things are what I'm interested to see David Ross do in a full 62-game season. 162, excuse me.
0: Let's hope it's not 62. Otherwise, we're back to 2020, and nobody wants to see that. We're here with Sean Sears of the Lockdown Cubs podcast. It's interesting that you bring up Jock Peterson because – I was reading a couple of articles that said that Peterson and Kyle Schwarber are the same guy. Now, was it smart that the Cubs didn't tender Kyle Schwarber a contract for $10 million for a guy that hit sub-200 last year? Yes, but at the same time, Kyle Schwarber's a guy that, at his best, can hit you 25-plus homers. He has a 35 homer season. Peterson's Mm -hmm. a much better defensive outfielder, but... He's horrible against lefties, and really, at least in the last few years with the Dodgers, was never put in a situation where he had to play against lefties because the Dodgers could put in somebody like a Chris Taylor or a Kike Hernandez in a left-on-left situation, make it a right-on-left situation, and Peterson wouldn't have to play. So I guess the question is, did the Cubs upgrade at left field, or do you think that Peterson is ultimately a downgrade over Kyle Schwarber? All factors included, defense and offense. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's such a weird situation because the Cubs did basically replace Kyle Schwarber with like his 1A comp, which is Chuck Peterson. In Baseball Reference, um, they're very similar players. Even you look at like their career totals and how they've gone through. Like the year Kyle Schwarber hit 30 five home runs, I think uh, Jock Peterson hit 38 that year. Um, They both seemingly had really good seasons at the same time and also had down seasons roughly around the same time. So there's some weird parallels between the two of them, but I would say Peterson is just a little bit of an upgrade. I think he's a little bit better of a hitter. Um, He's not quite as patient as Schwarber, but he doesn't strike out as much. Defensively, he's going to be a little more athletic. He probably doesn't have the arm that Schwarber has. People a lot of times don't realize how great of an arm Schwarber had in left field. And how much improvement he made. But in terms of like mobility, playing that field, I mean, Peterson's played center field for the Dodgers. He came up and played center field for the Dodgers initially. He's going to be an upgrade there. And then I would say the bat itself. Um, The one thing I've noticed that Jock Peterson does a lot better than Kyle Schwarber is handle high fastballs. And collectively this entire cup lineup is awful against high fastballs. They all struggle. It's Kyle Schwarber's weakness. It's Jason Hayward's kryptonite. Uh, Even Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant will miss those high fastballs. Sometimes Jock Peterson slugs over 500 on high fastballs. And that's a huge piece and a huge difference in this Cubs lineup because you look at this lineup and a lot of these guys, very similar like type of prototype of a player. Kyle Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Wilson Contreras, they're all power hitters. They're all guys that can mash baseballs. And they're all maybe collectively higher level hitters than maybe some of these other guys. But at the end of the day, they're power hitters. They're guys that maybe strike out, will take their walks, will see pitches, but crush the ball. Peterson is that guy, but the difference between him is he's a little bit higher of a contact guy and he seems to attack a lot of the pitches the Cubs have just struggled against for years. So I'm excited to see how that dynamic works. It's strange because like you said, he's worked for the Dodgers and uh, obviously they've got, riches of platoon players you can at any time you can put aj pollock into platoon in left field with a jock peterson you know you've got yourself a good situation um so peterson hasn't really gotten a lot of left-handed at bats so i think his totals have just continuously gone down since his rookie year i'm excited for the cubs to give him a shot you know you know who was also really bad against left-handed hitting before he came to the cubs was anthony rizzo he was his book he couldn't hit lefties now he's the only guy that's hitting two home runs off of uh, josh Hader from the left side so i think things can change if you give him that approach I hope for the best. I'm not necessarily expecting Jack Peterson to be an everyday player in left field,
0: but I'm excited to see what he can do. I want to talk about the Chris Bryant question because he was the National League MVP in 2016. He had trouble staying healthy over the past couple of years, but it it just seemed like going into 2020, before the pandemic was ever an issue, that the Cubs were just urgent to move on from him. Maybe it was a money issue because they figured he would be a guy that could earn a lot of money on the free agent market and they didn't want to pay it. But Chris Bryant, to me, is one of the guys that defined what this franchise was in their most competitive years. Mm-hmm. Why does it seem like both sides at this point? At first, I thought it was only one side. I thought it was only the Cubs. But why does it seem like both sides at now effectively want to move on? I
1: think Chris is probably just tired of hearing these trade rumors. I think he's tired of having to prove himself to this team that, you know, I loved him so much they manipulated his service time so they could have this 2021 season. And I think it's even weirder. The Cubs pushed so hard, went through these grievance cases to get this extra year, and they kick it off by trading their best starter. Um, so like it, it, I think Chris is probably just tired of hearing nonsense and trade rumors and being told that he's going to get traded and hearing all these things. And he's probably getting more information than we are about how serious some of these negotiations have been. Cause I know Chris Bryant's name was floated out. Left and right, all offseason, last offseason, even a little bit before 2019, too. Um, one thing I know that has changed a little bit, though, is since Chris has gone through the pandemic, since he's had his son, Kyler, he's gotten married to his wife the last couple of years. He's very much a guy that he wants to play baseball. He loves baseball, but he's a smart guy. And he also sees that at some point he's going to not be able to play this game. He wants to be comfortable. He wants to make his family comfortable. And I think ultimately he wants to stay in Chicago. I think he really does still at the end of this. Um, So I, I, I think maybe from becoming a father, maybe the approach is a little bit changed or I think he just wants some stability. I think he wants to know that he's got security because he's like Chicago and he's had great success here. He loves playing with the guys on this team, but I think this is probably going to be the deciding factor this, if the spring training, if they don't see any real traction between extension talks, I think Chris will probably just know, okay, this it's time to go. But I, I think what's really frustrating from Brian's end is they've wanted to get an extension done. They've tried to do something. They've, they've tried to have these conversations. And according to Brian, at least, no real conversations have happened. The Cubs on the other side have said they've offered Brian a, a deal well north of $200 million And both sides have said that hasn't happened or had happened or whatnot. So it feels like both sides are playing stupid hardball. But I, I, I think if I had to guess one thing, I think Brian is more receptive to uh, – uh, an extension now that he was maybe just a year or two ago.
0: Is it a situation, and I think I know the answer to this question, but I'll let you give it as the guy that actually follows this team as closely as you do. Mm. With Bryant and Baez, is it one or the other at this point, or can they keep both? I It really does seem like it's one
1: or the other. It feels like the Cubs have just been really, really difficult about I guess picking a direction or finding out what they want to pay these guys or not paying these guys. But I think what it comes down to it buys is the more marketable player. Uh, he's always selling his jersey. always one of the number one selling jerseys for the Cubs in baseball right now. Um, I think as a TV network, that's continuously cutting cable subscribers out and just barely got a deal with marquee or Mar- uh, Comcast like two days before the season started. Um, Baez is a little bit more remarkable in that regard. And he's, uh, he's got like a Steph Curry type of like effect where a lot of players and young kids see him and like, I want to tag like Javi Baez, I want to do swim moves like Javi Baez, I want to steal home like Javi Baez. Chris Bryant doesn't really do any of those exciting, interesting, elite level, like defensive plays or craziness on base passes. He's just a really, really good baseball player. And that's Easy to market for baseball fans, but you know Javier Baez is easy to be marketed anywhere. He, you could stick his face on anything, and someone would go buy it. I mean, I still see people buying Rizzo's um, those like Cheerio boxes they ran during the World Series, and Javier Baez's El Mago things or whatever. Um, I think just the marketability makes Baez a little more attractive to the Cubs right now. But um, that being said, I I know that they can afford extensions for all these guys. I know they can do it. It's just whether or not. They want to is really what it comes down to. So I think it'll be more so deciding what comes on, what comes after the Bryans and Baez is of the Cubs era. And if you look at this, the system right now, the Cubs are stacked at shortstop. Some of these guys are going to get moved to third base at some point. I think they'd rather keep Javier Baez long-term than maybe Chris Bryant, because they know at some point, all these elite shortstop prospects they have are going to have to move to different positions. And so I think it might be easier to find a third baseman than it would a, an elite level shortstop at this point.
0: We're here with Sean Sears of the Lockdown Cubs podcast. Make sure you go subscribe to the Lockdown Cubs podcast, especially if you are a fan of the North Siders. David Bodie, Nico Horner, Ildemaro Vargas. Who is your opening day second baseman?
1: Oh man i I hope it's not Eric Silgard. Um, That's all I have to say. I I hope they give the shot to Nico Horner. Um, I think he's a guy that deserves that now. I will say if, if he's not showing he can be that starter this year, I, I think it's time to get him in the minors a little bit. Uh, he got called up for a cup of coffee in 2019, played a little bit last year, wasn't quite great. He was the first person called up from that 2018 draft class and another one of those Cubs where it felt like he was clearly showing he could produce at the major league level, but wasn't ready to be an everyday player. Um, I hope Horner gets that shot to, to get second base, but if I had to guess someone, it's probably David Bodie. Uh, The Cubs love him. They just like him as a utility guy, and he fits everywhere around the infield and at the very least gives you a guy that's consistent, um, has a pretty decent back, can drive the ball from the lower inside. So if I had to guess who it was, it's probably uh, David Bodie, but I I hope Nico
0: Horner wins it. I want to see that guy get a real shot to to play every day. I want to move on to the rotation because at one point before they brought back Jake Arrieta, the top Mm -hmm. three starters in this rotation – of Kyle Hendricks, Zach Davies, and Alec Mills. None of them throw over 90 miles an hour. Now, Arietta yeah. is somebody that the Cubs are hoping to find what he was in 2015 and 2016, but this is a Cubs rotation that is number one, at least in the top four spots, all righties. With the mm-hmm. exception of Arietta, they don't throw hard. But at the same time, Zach Davies had a really solid year with the Padres, and he has a track record of good performances with the Brewers, but an issue staying healthy. Kyle Hendricks is Kyle Hendricks, and Alec yeah. Mills is a solid number five starter, but he's not a number three starter. So I guess my mm-hmm. question to you is can the Cubs be a good team having a rotation that number one looks to be all right handed pitchers, but number two, a rotation of guys that don't throw hard? And this is not taking into account that maybe Adbert Alzale ends up cracking the opening day rotation, which. It looks like he has a chance of doing, but I honestly am a little bit surprised that the Cubs, given that John Lester and Jose Quintana have been a part of this rotation for the last few years, that the Cubs would open up their season with no left-handed starters. Yeah, I thought that
1: was strange. I, I thought they would at least like take a, a flyer on like a, a Drew Smiley type player, maybe not him exactly, but that type of mold where you just you know give a lefty a shot to see if they can make that rotation. Um, it's gonna be weird. It's gonna be a weird rotation. The one thing I do, I will say, like you said, not a lot of hard throwing guys. Albert Alzalai could probably be the one guy that maybe touches ninety four, ninety five, maybe, um, but. Not a ton of heat, but what they do have behind them is guys that are all excellent ground ball pitchers. Kyle Hendricks, Kyle Davies, or Zach, Zach Davies, geez, there it is again. I'm going to probably call Zach Davies, Kyle Davies a million times this I year. I went to high school uh, with
0: a guy named Kyle Davies, so I've done it before, trust uh, me. Ah,
1: see, okay, that's good. Um, <laughs> and Jake Urieta as well, as a low sinker ball type of guy. They're, they're all trying to basically bring pitchers that don't give up a lot of contact get a lot of ground balls and they're hoping that the defense behind them in the middle infield which is pretty pretty solid um will be able to scoop up some of those balls and get outs for them i think it's a good approach kyle or zach davies excuse me zach davies is a guy who i think um it had a really strong 2020 season showed the last couple years at least with the brewers health injury injury is a little concerned but um Really strong guy, a guy who could probably throw harder if he wanted to, but doesn't because it plays his stuff plays better when he throws it slower. It moves more. He gets more awkward tilt on those pitches. It plays off his changeup better. They've got a good rotation, but it feels like outside of Kyle Hendricks, it's a lot of two and threes, maybe a five starter and an Alec Mills. Um, they're probably hoping that the back end of this rotation being a guy like Adbert Alzali or maybe if Braylon Marquez starts crawling, climbing through the system faster than they're expecting their top pitching prospect, um, that those guys come in and maybe add a little bit more to this rotation. But, they've got a lot of flyers on just random guys like a Cole Stewart, uh, Shelby Miller's on this team. Uh, who knows if they get anything out of him. Um, there's a couple of guys like Corey Abbott, uh, Cole Franklin, Ryan Jensen, some young guys in their system. They might see, get a shot up here, but, uh, yeah, this rotation is going to be weird. Uh, it's going to be a lot different. And even the last couple of years, it's been a lot different because we've seen guys like Lester and Arietta and whatnot start to get older and their velocities dip down. But you still had a U Darvish. You still had a Jake Arietta when he was with the Cubs hitting 94, 95. So um, it's going to be a different approach. But I think the pitchers are tailored well to what they have behind them on the defense.
0: Now I want to go to the bullpen, Sean. Craig Kimbrell has been an abject disaster. But at the same time, they can't get rid of him. And more than likely, he has to open this season as the Cubs closer. This is a Mm. bullpen that has changed dramatically over the past couple of years. But it's a lot of the same guys that were in Chicago last year. What is your expectation in regards to the bullpen for this year? I can't say that I know enough about guys like Brad Wick and Rowan Wick. I know that Rex Brothers has a track record. I know the Cubs are high on guys like Dwayne Underwood Mm -hmm. and James Norwood. Ryan Tepera, shout out to him for getting an MVP vote by mistake last year, which I thought was (laughs) hilarious. But uh, this is a Cubs bullpen that I feel like has dictated success for this team over the past few years. And when the Cubs have gone Mm -hmm. well, their bullpen has been good. And when the Cubs have struggled, It has been because they have not been able to hold leads after solid starts from guys like you, Darvish, John Lester, and Kyle Hendricks. Mm hmm. Yeah, Tommy Hodovy, their
1: pitching coach, has done a really good job of just kind of finding the type of arms, the type of pitchers he likes, and getting them to perform into the system. I think last year the bullpen obviously was it was an issue for a good portion of the season because of Craig Kimbrell and even in 2019, exact type of situation. Um, but Kimbrell seemed to figure things out towards the end of the season. He looked very much like himself. The velocity was there, that knuckle curve was there. He was throwing a cutter change up type of throw along with that. And um, he was looking solid, but I think I think what's impressive with Hodavi is he's really good at finding guys that have elite level like spin or some type of rotation on their pitches and just getting them to work in their system. They refine these pitches, refine their movements, figure out that if they, you know, go from a three force angle to a, a side angle that that gives them more swerve on these pitches. How do great at just kind of finding these arms that are unique and different and have different type of p- approaches and getting them to be effective in a major league level. And I, I like that approach to bullpens. Cause I, I don't think you should really, uh, I don't like when teams spend a ton of money on guys like Craig Kimbrell's great. They needed him. He hasn't turned out great, um, but at the time that made sense. I get why you spend that money. Um, But ultimately, a lot of relievers are very tumultuous. It's it's hard to predict year to year how those guys are going to figure things out. That's why I like this approach. Um, The Cubs seem to have a lot of arms that they like. Uh, Like you said, Rowan Wick and Kyle Ryan have been those two guys for a little bit now. Um, I'm excited to see... Dwayne did get DFA, but it sounds like he's going to make it through waivers. So I'm excited to see what he has going on. They're really high in Dylan Maples this year, who's a guy that came up through the system and threw like a 100 mile an hour slider, but has zero control. They're talking about they've refined some of his movements on the mound itself. And now he had a scoreless inning against the Mariners, I think a couple days ago. There's um, so a lot of these guys that they just are really high on, and they feel that if they can work with them, they can find a good bullpen. So, It might be bad to start the season, but I'm confident, at least in Hodevi, to find those arms and to get the bullpen where it needs to be by midseason at the latest.
0: Final question for Sean Sears here on the MLB morning coffee 30 days and 30 days, 30 teams and 30 days preview. 30 days and 30 days is also the same thing. 30 teams and 30 days preview (laughs) with the Chicago Cubs. I ask every one of our guests on these previews this final question What's your ceiling? What's your floor for the 2021 Chicago Cubs? I'd say ceiling's probably no more than 90
1: games. Uh, I think this team could be really good, and I think they could outperform some expectations. But I think the pitching, no matter what, you're going to run into some issues. There's going to be someone that gets hurt. Um, that that's going to come into question. And I think it's really tough to go into a season with like arguably your seven, maybe just real starting options, all being from the right side. Um, you got to have some variation there. So I, I I'm concerned about that, but I think 90 wins is probably about the ceiling. If I had to guess where they'd be at, probably 86, 87. But I don't see this team losing any more than 80 games. I I still think they're going to be close to a 500 team, maybe a little bit above that. But um, if if they if if they were to start dipping below that 80 or 500 game level, it's probably because they've traded a Chris Bryant or a Javier Baez, Wilson Contreras, something like that. So I, I don't see them dipping below 500, but I don't see them really pushing to a 90-plus win team this year. They're probably
0: 80s, low, mid to 80s at this point, my guess. Sean, before we let you go, and we thank you so much for your time, let everybody know where they can find you and where they can find your work. Definitely. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean R.
1: Sears. I'm the host of the Lockdown Cubs podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Cubs. And then I'm writing for FanSided, at NBC Sports, wherever I can get a... They let me freelance a little bit here and there. So you can always find my work at Sean R. Sears on Twitter. So, But Greg, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely, Sean. Thank you for coming on. This has been MLB Morning Coffee's 30 Teams in 30 Days, Chicago Cubs preview. Tomorrow, we head to the Big Apple to preview the New York Mets. Have a great day, everybody.